Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Probably no secret that I have a huge enthusiasm for politics and devoted a few years of my time as a non-executive director on the Women for Election Australian Board to help support more women to run for office and succeed in public life. It was at one of these conferences that I met Ruth McGowan, OAM, today's podcast guest. Ruth is an authority on political campaigning and gender equality. She is the author of Get Elected, the Australian Campaign Guide to Winning Political Office at Local, State or Federal Level. Starting her career as an agricultural scientist, Ruth worked for two decades across the public sector, managing various STEM projects before standing for her local council and serving as mayor. Her experience in public office in local government inspired Ruth to change her career focus and six years ago she trained as a counsellor coach and accredited trainer in political intelligence. Through her own consultancy business, Ruth now combines her two passions, advancing gender equality and politics. Ruth delivers Get Elected workshops throughout Australia for women interested in getting into the big P politics on how to successfully plan a winning political campaign. And through her political intelligence training, she supports women leaders to master the skills of political savvy and understand the art and science of positive politics. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Amber. Well, let's go back a little bit. Um, Did you have something you wanted to be when you grew up and was that the path you ended up on? Well, I was reflecting on this the other day and it's so exciting to be talking to someone and having an audience that's really interested in politics because politics is my jam. When I was growing up, I remember being, I don't know, four or five and watching Fantasia, that Disney movie. Did you ever see that? I remember that. It was all a bit wild from, from memory. There was a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but in it there's a conductor with a baton lifting the arms up and down and I don't know whether it was cats or what animal, but I distinctly distinctly remember the animals followed the baton and I thought that's a lot of power. And I went to my dad and I said, I want to be a conductor when I grow up so I can lift a stick and people will follow. And dad sort of put a kibosh on my um, aspirations then and said, well, you've actually got to be able to be really good at reading music and very skilled at playing a musical instrument. I was going now, to say the musical element is something you can't escape if that would be your choice. Exactly, but that was uh, that was not my forte. So, But then I was reflecting when I became a mayor and got elected to local politics, I had a gavel in my hand and I could bang it and people had to be quiet or I could move a motion and then that would have to deliver it. So politics is about power and even though I was never a conductor of an orchestra, I eventually got power through politics. Yeah, that's very interesting. But obviously then you took a bit of a turn being um, obviously the agricultural scientist at some point. So I suppose that's quite different in terms of a pathway to get to to, to being in politics. Yeah, they are. But I I grew up being very curious about science and nature and what causes things to be as they are. 
So I studied plants and animal and geology and economics and people and rural sociology to understand how come things are as they are. And I I worked out that when I was working in agriculture and in government that often governments would make decisions on who turns up and who has the loudest voice. And that is a bit like politics. Politics is often made on the decisions are determined by who turns up, who shows up. So I turned up at my local council elections. It was an all-male council. And one day I went and spoke to my council to try and overturn a a planning decision, which I didn't agree with, and I won that. But I looked around the room and it was all men. And I thought, well, if it's If it's going to change, I have to put my hat in the ring. So next elections I ran and I got elected and I was the only woman on council, so I worked to get more women elected and that was probably about 12 years ago and ever since then that's become my passion to help women show up and get involved in politics. Well, we we do have some work to do because in March this year there was a report by the World Economic Forum on the Global Gender Gap Index and Australia didn't rank well. We actually came in at 56 places lower than 2020 and down from 24th in 2014. It seems in terms of political empowerment, our record isn't getting better. It seems to be getting worse and it just seems that we're not leading anymore in this space. So why do we need to push harder to get more women in Australia into politics when other countries seem to be leaps and bounds ahead of us? Well, the stats you just mentioned show that we're actually going backwards. So if politics is holding the magic wand, then politics is about power. And who gets the power? In our country, a typical politician, whether it's local, state or federal, is older man from an Anglo-Saxon background. So old white men are the ones who are making the decisions. And, you know, it's you can have some of them, but actually when you looked at the demographics of Australia, which I've done, there's about 10% of our population represents old white men in terms of the demographics, yet they're the ones in power. So we need to get women, more women interested in Australian politics. So put simply, so we can access the power to bring our worldviews and our lived experience and make better decisions. Because when you've got diversity, whether it's men, women, people that have got disabilities, LGBT people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, First Nations people, more diversity delivers better decisions. And it's if you've just got one way of thinking, that's when you can run into problems. So that's why we need more women in politics for better decisions. It's not dissimilar to the boardroom in some ways, but perhaps even worse from the statistics that I'm reading. Yeah, it is. It depends on what level. Let's let's also remember our Senate has got equality there and also some parliaments around Australia have got even more women than men, such as ACT, Australian Capital Territory. So there is an improvement in different parliaments of gender representation, but we still have a long way to go in Uh, having more women in federal parliament and also having people from multicultural backgrounds and also having people with disabilities and having LGBT people in the federal parliament. 
it's the last bastion, if you like. Yeah, it makes mm. it makes sense. It makes sense to reflect the society in which mm. we operate. I suppose to, to sort of fast forward a bit, looking actually at elections per se, which is our topic for today. In my mind, they're part strategy, part sentiment, and a bit of serendipity in some ways. Can you unpack that process of getting your name sort of pre-selected on a ballot paper and then actually getting elected? Is the campaign machinery different to perhaps 10, 20 years ago with a digital age and so forth? I mean, what are you seeing in terms of the election process that you can unpack for us and share with the audience? So getting your name pre-selected is different if you're running as an independent compared to if you're running with a political party. So like places like America where you have the Democrats and the Republicans, in Australia we've got mainly Liberal and Labor voters and I think this is changing, particularly in Australia. So we used to have those major parties and now we're getting a lot more independents coming through and people representing the micro parties that are on specific issues across the whole political spectrum. And we're seeing more and more independents get elected at local, state and federal government. So I guess it's a bit like in the old days when you think about shopping, we had the two major supermarket chains, uh, Woolworths and Coles, whereas nowadays we've got the smaller independents, IGA, Foodworks, and people are going to farmers markets and providors and buying food from boutique food suppliers. So we're broadening where we shop. We're also broadening how we and who how we elect people and who we want to get elected. It's a it's the intersection between if you want to go and get um, elected, it's the intersection between working really hard and being prepared to get elected, and also luck, luck and opportunity. So there may be a by election that comes up. And you've only got five weeks to run a campaign. But if you're prepared and you're ready to go, you might have a really good chance of getting elected. But at the end of the day, it can take on average three campaigns, three goes at standing to get elected. So keep persisting and the opportunity will coincide with preparation and that's where the luck happens that you do get elected. Of course. So once elected, I'm always curious to think about what is the key to staying elected in office? And I imagine, you know, these days, three or four years sometimes seems like a long time to actually watch a party or an individual go through that, you know, the political rigour that they say a day in politics is is a long time. Um, So candidates must have to sort of evolve over time or can they just be quite steadfast and sort of the platforms that they get elected on stay static or do you think the world is moving too quickly for these cycles to be actually as relevant? Well, look, it depends whether you're in a safe seat. If that seat's always been red, then you can sit in that seat and just get, get elected year after year after year or if it's a safe blue seat. But more and more safe seats are being challenged because the constituency, which is the citizens, feel that they haven't been listened to. So the the ideal politician is someone who listens to their community and deeply listens, not just to the loudest or the uh, squeakiest wheel, but deeply listens to their community and then goes and advocates on their behalf. And in the past, if that wasn't happening, people weren't that concerned about it. But now there's a lot greater scrutiny on politicians and how they reflect the needs and wants and desires of the community. So safe seats are no longer a given. One of the 
so serving your community is really important, listening deeply, and then collaborating with other politicians to get through the good stuff that the community needs to happen and communicating that back to your community, how you are working as a politician with an ear to the ground and listening and representing. Absolutely. So your own election experience as a, as a mayor must have uh, taught you some lessons you maybe hadn't anticipated and then obviously now you, you, you've written your book, Get Elected. A lot of that experience must be in there, but how else did you collate the information needed for a broader experience so that you can sort of provide a guide for people? Because obviously local government's different to state and once again different to federal. Yeah, well, it's, there's a combination of things. I, I have been supporting a number of women to run over past decade. I admin a Facebook group which has got more than a 1,000 women interested in politics and standing in that. So I'm looking at what were the issues people wanted to know more about. There was not a handbook that gave a step-by-step process on how to get elected. I was also really lucky to do a program in Melbourne called Pathways to Politics which was based on the program in America called From the Harvard Square to the Oval Office. And it was over six months with people coming in and speaking about strategy, former and current politicians, female politicians talking about what it takes to get elected. I was also behind the scenes a powerhouse for my sister Kathy McGowan, who ran for the federal seat of Indi in 2013 and 2016 as an independent. So she upset the sitting member who had been in a safe seat and she ran as an independent, wasn't expecting to win, but got elected in 2013 and then again in 2016. So I helped out on that campaign with a great team of people and learnt a lot about the practicalities of campaigning because often in the major political parties it's a very opaque, secretive process of how to do a campaign. And why would they share it with everyone else? Because they don't want competition. So that's the reason why I wrote that book, to to show the step-by-step process of what you could do if you wanted to run for politics, whether it was local, state or federal government. There's it's a it's a it can be scaled up or down, but the principles are the same. I can imagine there's lots of, lots of great tips in there and I suppose having had the experience and obviously the ex- experience of someone in your family running for running for office and succeeding, it's the idea that, you know, you spend a lot of time, I guess, campaigning, getting elected and so forth, staying elected, but I'm always curious that balance between, okay, I've got another election coming up, how far out from, you know, once you are elected do you have to start thinking about your next campaign? Is, is it always a process that's evolving? Are you always working on your campaign, even if it's not officially election season? How would you, how would you sort of strike that balance for, in your experience? Well, it's an interesting question because if you were to reframe campaigning to being accountable to you, your electorate, then you're always campaigning because you're always listening and you're always demonstrating how you're advocating and representing your community And if you're doing that effectively, then you should be able to stand on your record. This is what I've done. These are some of the processes I've put in place to support my community. So in Australia, most state and territory governments have fixed terms. So the elections come around every four years, which is really useful. So people know that over four years, you've got a chance to really get some great stuff done. Whereas federally, those elections can be called 
any time within a three-year cycle. So they can be used for the political advantage of the incumbent government that allows them to pick and choose the best timing. So I would say federally the campaigning is probably fast and ferocious for those shorter terms. But when they're longer terms, it allows people a bit of fresh air, I guess, to do something a bit different, do do some radical things, take some chances and be innovative. But maybe that's not as easy to do when the terms are shorter because they can be there can be election any time within a three-year cycle in federal politics. Does that make sense? It does. And I suppose it's that, that, that concept of being the visionary politician and then doing. You know, it's always mm. that balance, isn't it, between steering the nation into, I guess, a future which people find aspirational or inspirational and actually just getting the nuts and bolts happening. Obviously, in a year that we've had globally with a pandemic that perhaps no one could predict, maybe all bets are off in terms of our expectations of, of that cycle and what people can achieve. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that, just where we are now in terms of mm. you know where the governments sit, not just in Australia but I guess everywhere, are facing things that they perhaps have never faced for at least a few generations. Mm. Yeah. And so how, how do they navigate that? How do they, is it that sometimes it feels like excuses, if you know what I mean? It mm. sort of feels like well, we couldn't do this because we had that. But there is sometimes a rational reason, but still I think we still judge quite harshly. And I, I must admit I don't even remember half the time what platforms they've, they've pitched on unless it was something, you know, that I really was wedded to when, I, when you're electing someone. Often I just forget about that, you know, even one, two, three years down the track, you know, you don't really go back and say, oh, but you promised mm. this this particular piece of policy. So I think it's a challenge to, to constantly feel like you're relevant but also practical as well. Yeah. So I guess Australia has had a bit of a shocker year for women in public life with lots of accusations and instances of sexual harassment and assault which have been front and centre, I guess, in what we call the Canberra bubble. And more women in office might help but I'm also a little bit sceptical I guess because I guess some of the women who are in that in that front row seat that do operate in Canberra and maybe are in powerful positions probably knew of some of the incidences or have turned a blind eye or downgraded them to survive themselves politically in in what really is still a boys club that reminds me of something from 1950s Mad Men era in some ways do you have any positioning on this or thoughts on this on on how we really can change that culture for the better? I think, put simply, we need more women in there. So when we've got a critical mass, there's that saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you've got different views, some of those views, you know, and we've seen it recently, some of those views are not necessarily, you know, women hold different views. There's the newsflash. Of course they do. So We're all different. We don't come in one packaging, do we? No, we don't. We don't. But the women that are holding different views also reflect women in the community and men that hold different views. But I've seen in other parliaments around the world, such as in the Scandinavian countries, where there are more women in politics, there are better outcomes and better decisions made for women and girls generally and children. So that's... That's because of the lived experience of being more likely to be carers. So, for example, we don't have childcare as a tax-deductible expense. So for some women it's not economical to put their children in childcare to go out and earn a wage. I would imagine if we had more women from all different backgrounds making the majority of the numbers in our parliaments, we would get a very 
different decision on that. That's a really good practical example. And, and yes, there needs to definitely be more more types of women as well, perhaps of all stages and ages. I'm always thinking about younger women as well running for office. And I think traditionally we always think you have to have a lot of lived experience and sometimes that's true, but I, I often think it'll be great to see a younger parliament across the board as well. Exactly. In my local council, we've got a 20-year-old woman and we will never, ever go back to being an all-male council here where I live. But I also just wanted to say sometimes that narrative around parliament being hard and you have to have a tough skin and it's, you know, why would you do it? It's a toxic place. That narrative can sometimes be designed to keep women out of there. Absolutely. So it's not always the case. <laughs> there are some good stories. So we, we've got to be mindful of not continuing perpetuating that narrative because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Absolutely. I'm always a believer that most of us have not got to where we we get to with our successful careers and other pursuits without mentors. Do you have one or two that really stand out in your life and what have they taught you? Well, I'd have to say my parents. I grew up the 12th child in a family of uh, 14 kids. Can you believe that? Mum had 14 kids. That's amazing. And mum and dad always provided really well for us and boosted our confidence whenever there was an opportunity. But from my mum, I learned be kind, be respectful and make a contribution. And uh, she was an amazing woman. Also, my dad, who's also passed now, he said, through his actions like step up, stop complaining, step up, speak out and get involved. And that's my, all my siblings, we've all done that. We've, we've, if we see something we don't agree with rather than complaining, we step up and speak out and get involved in trying to make whatever's happening in our community or the world a better place. Great philosophies. And just as we wrap up today, what would be your final takeaway message on the politics of elections? Well, politics actually affects us all. So if you're interested in politics but you don't want to run as a politician, then I suggest you ask someone who you think would make a great politician to run and support them to run. Uh, that Our democracy is fragile, so we all need to take an interest in politics. And it was Aristotle, I think, who said man is by nature a political animal, well, and women are too. You just have to look at community groups. Whatever you've been involved in, politics is as a play. Once you've got two or three people in a room, even in families, politics is at play. If, as you'd know through all your podcasts and the various people you've interviewed, but I'm going to leave the, the last line I've got is to the Greek scholar Pericles who said you may not take an interest in politics but politics will take an interest in you. So get involved. Oh, that's powerful stuff. That's great. Yes, get involved, get elected. If you do want to connect further with Ruth, there will be some details on my show notes. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.